Thanks for joining us today. We love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. We encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that online at fellowshipgj.com and pick the giving option that works best for you and help us continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thanks for joining us and enjoy today's message. Well, guys, again, good morning. We've been in this series, Making Room. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up with me to Ephesians chapter 3, Making Room. In fact, turn to the person sitting next to you and tell them, make some room. I'm trying to sit here right now, just hogging the armrest. Making Room. In this series, we've talked about the fact that our participation is so incredibly important If we want to see God's blessings in our life, we have to participate. We actually have to make room in our lives for those blessings. And we talked about making room for happiness. We talked about making room for blessings. We talked about making room for forgiveness. And today we're continuing in this series, Making Room for Love. And I want to start off reading a passage. This is something that Paul prayed. He says, I pray... This is verse 16, Ephesians 3.16. I pray that out of his glorious riches may he strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. So Paul is praying for believers, he's praying for you and I, and he's saying, I am praying that you would be able to understand how high and deep and long and wide the love of Christ is. He's saying, I hope you would make room in your life to understand the love of God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we get into this topic today, talking about love, um, God, we, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come in this room and that you would extend your love and your grace and your mercy to us. I pray that I wouldn't get in the way, but I pray instead that we would be the type of people before we leave here, that we have made room in our lives for your love so much so that your love could start spilling out of us onto other people. So God, we ask that you'd be here in this time with us. Teach us, convict us, God, as individuals right now. We ask you to talk to each of us personally. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's another very famous passage of scripture we see where Jesus is being questioned by some religious leaders, some teachers. It's found in Mark chapter 12 and verse 28 says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given a good answer. He asked him, of all of the commandments, which is the most important? See, this is pretty interesting that it was a teacher of the law that asked this question because any teacher of the law would have understood the Mosaic law and understood that there were five books that made up the Mosaic law, the Torah, the Pentateuch. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And many teachers would have large portions of these five books memorized. Some of them had all of it memorized. And there were literally hundreds of different commandments in these five books. Commandments from how you should uh, worship in the temple, how you should gather, how you should spend the Sabbath day. There was all these sorts of different commandments, but then there were the big ones that you and I know about. You know, the, the commandments like, 
how we get along with one another. You know, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't murder, things like that. And he's saying literally of all of these commandments, Jesus tell us what's like the number one. And Jesus doesn't pick one. His next statement, he kind of sums all of it up together in one very clear and simple statement. He says, the most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Verse 30. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So he's saying you can sum it all up. Like understanding God's law, following Jesus, looks like loving God and loving other people. And see, I think for a lot of us in this room, I mean, we're here today because we love God. We're trying to understand how to love him more, how to worship him more. This first one we grasp and we can get, I think it's the second part of this that can be difficult for a lot of us in this room. It's loving people. Because, man, don't you know there are some difficult people that we run into on a daily basis. If you can't think of someone right now, I'm sure you're going to get cut off by someone on the way home and you're going to have to read their bumper stickers for a couple miles and you're going to realize there's some difficult people that we have to live with on a daily basis. And Jesus says about these difficult people, these, these people that don't look like you and don't dress like you and act like you, they don't vote like you, we're supposed to love them. And in fact, he takes it a little bit beyond that. Instead of just saying love people, his exact words are a lot more clear than that. He says love your neighbor as yourself. That we should love other people the same way that we love ourselves. That's difficult because I don't know about you, but it's easy for me to criticize other people. When I see other people make mistakes, it's easy for me to point out their flaws and their failures in fact, I, I will just admit it to you, I'm a Monday morning quarterback. <laughs> like, I, I will get with people and we'll talk about baseball games and football games and how they, could, how they could have strategized better and how the game could have been won. And in fact, my favorite sport, many of you know, is baseball. I grew up playing coach pitch and t-ball and then into Little League. I love baseball. We go to professional games now and I love that we have a minor league team here in town, but one of the things that I'll do, and I'm, I'm actually trying to get better at, is I will sit on the couch and watch a baseball game all by myself, with like my family's in the other room doing something else, reading books or whatever, and I'm watching the baseball game, and, and I'll start talking to the screen. I won't even realize it, but I, like, I love the strategy of the game so much, I start thinking like, oh, you can't pitch inside on this guy. Don't pitch inside on this guy. Why are you pitching? Don't pitch. Oh, he went long. Oh, my God. Pull the pitcher. My gosh, the Rockies. Here we go again. And, and I look up, and my girls, they're like standing in the doorway going, oh, Dad, there's no one else in here. I'm like, you go back and read your book. Leave me alone, okay? I'm just, Dad's having a moment in here. But I realize, like, I, I, will, I will criticize something that I'm not really involved in. And it, it got me, when I was thinking about this this last week, uh, I was thinking about my baseball career. And I think many of you, like, you, you know I love baseball, but I want to share with you how my baseball career ended. Because you knew I grew up, you know, playing Little League, coach pitch, you know, just all that fun stuff. And I want to tell you, my last game, how, how the game ended, it will... If, I, if I'm going to be honest with you, I can tell you it wasn't really baseball. It was uh, 
co-ed slow pitch softball was actually what the game was. But um, you might not know this is possible, but the way that this game ended is I got struck out. Now, there's so you think that's not even possible in slow pitch co-ed softball. The truth is, if you keep swinging and keep missing, eventually they just call someone else to come up and bat. But don't sit out there and pick on me too much. You have no idea. This chick had a mean curveball, like deceptively slow. Oh, yeah, you've been there too, okay? But what's funny is I think about how my softball career ended with me not hitting the the winning home run, but in fact I got struck out and that was the last game that I ever played and, and I, I quit softball, I quit the, the game of baseball altogether. At the end of that, I wasn't real hard on myself because the truth is I knew my intentions. I got out there and I'm like, I, you know, I know I'm trying really hard, I'm swinging for the best, I, I don't have time to practice this all day long and since I knew my intention intentions I really gave myself the benefit of the doubt I was easy on myself and yet here I find myself sitting on the couch and I'm screaming at this player going oh my gosh pull the picture right why is it we are so hard on other people and yet so easy on ourselves and I think you might go well that's silly that's just sports but let's let's take it through some real place for a moment isn't it easy to go man I can't believe that guy cheated on his wife he's just throwing his marriage aside like it doesn't even matter. And then we find ourselves on the internet in the middle of the night and, and our, we go, well, it's not really the same. My intentions aren't really to harm anyone. You know, it's, I'm not really trying to hurt my spouse. I'm not doing that. It's like we give ourselves this benefit of the doubt because we think we understand our own intentions and yet we cast blame at other people when we see their faults. And, and Jesus, when he says, I want you to love your neighbor as yourself, he, in this statement, he's pointing out the fact that you and I, we extend an enormous amount of grace and love to ourselves. And, and it causes us to ask the question, what would it look like if you extended that type of grace and mercy and love to your neighbor. Instead of just assuming the worst about them, going, well, you know what, maybe that's not what they meant. Maybe their intentions are different. What if we started extending that type of love to one another? I think it's, it's easy to write down on paper as, as a note, like we should love our neighbors as ourselves, but, but how do we do that? What does it look like? Today in the brief moments that we have left together, I want to look at Jesus and look at how Jesus modeled loving people, loving your neighbor as yourself. And I want to just take two principles out of this, and I believe it can help us so much for us being the type of people who would make room for God's love to be in our life. So in looking at Jesus's life, I'm just two quick points. I want to go ahead and give you the first one right now. Jesus modeled loving people exactly where they are. Jesus modeled loving people exactly where they are. Have you ever noticed in your own life, I can tell you in mine for sure. It is a lot easier to extend grace to a perfect stranger than it is to someone that you know a little bit more about. It's the people that you're familiar with that it's a little bit harder to extend grace to them. Like, the more you know about a person, the more you start to think, well, they meant to do that. Their intentions were wrong. And I, I guess an example of this is 
have you ever had it happen where someone will come up to you and ask you like, or say something along the lines like, man, I met your cousin. She is so sweet. I love that woman. You're like, you ain't talking about my cousin. <laughs> you, wait, what was her name again? What did you say? Her, the, her? Oh, no, you only think she's sweet because you don't know her. Let me tell you about her, okay? Because it's like the more we get to know about someone, the more we, we start to be stingy when it comes to extending love and extending mercy and grace. That's why, you know, I, I think it's funny, and I, I think the truth is the, rela- the relationship between grandparents and grandchildren is built on ignorance. It is. Because... Because grandparents think that grandkids are just wonderful. Every person, every grandparent in here, show me your hands. Do you not think your grandkids are just the most perfect thing God ever created? Yeah. You should think that. But the truth is, you think that because you only get to see them a couple minutes a week. And when you do see them, you're giving them presents and giving them candy. So you think, oh, they're just wonderful. They're awesome. And the parents in the room are going, wait a minute, you weren't here 30 minutes ago when they're throwing a temper tantrum in Walmart and the store manager's coming out in Walmart going, man, you're ruining the peace in my store here right now with your kid. And you're screaming at the kid, getting them in the car, and they pop up and Granny show up with the Snickers bar and everything's beautiful, right? It's jacked up. It's based on ignorance. Because it's like the less you know about someone, you know, it, it's easier to extend grace. A perfect stranger could, could, could do something, say something that comes across wrong, and we'll say things, oh, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. They probably didn't mean to come across that way. But then someone that maybe you've known for a little while, you go, oh, she meant to say it that way. Tell you what, she's trying, she's trying to get her licks in. She's trying to hurt us right now. She's, she's trying to hurt me. And it's like the more familiar we get with someone, the more we automatically start to think that, that they're in it to hurt us. That they don't deserve my love. They don't deserve my grace. And they don't deserve my forgiveness. But we see that what Jesus did with people is he actually recognized and knew right where they were. And he still loved them right where they were. I think what's difficult about this is, guys, this is like, our our country is so polarized right now. I mean, we try not to even watch the news in our house because it's just a fight about this, a fight about that. You drive down the road and there are signs and bumper stickers everywhere. People are trying to throw their agenda in your face because there is just a, a continual disruption of this group of people are different than that group of people. And let's be honest. It's human nature for us to just go, well, that person doesn't think like me. They don't dress like me. They don't have the same moral values I have. They don't vote for the same people I do. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to separate from them. I, I'm, I'm not going to talk to them anymore. I'm just, they can go live their life over there, and I'm going to go live my life over here. But what we see with Jesus is Jesus modeled exactly the opposite of that. A great story that we see in scripture that, that proves this is Jesus was hanging out with a group of sinners, tax collectors and, and prostitutes. And, and the Bible says in Luke 5.30, it says, But the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? And Jesus answered them, Healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. 
I have come to call not those who think that they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners and need to repent. So it's not like Jesus was surprised going, oh, I had no idea these people were like sinners. I had no idea they weren't following the religious law. I had no idea they were far away from God. He's going, yeah, they're the exact group of people that my followers and me, we should be right in the midst of them, loving on them, extending grace to them, because you don't go to the hospital, you don't go look for a doctor if you're healthy. No, it's the sick people who need a doctor, and it's the world who's far away from God who needs a close relationship with God. So he's saying, those of us that have a relationship with God, we gotta get right in the middle of it. We gotta understand where people are and see that, yeah, we don't agree with everything that they do. We don't agree with everything that they believe, but we still need to get out there and extend God's love and mercy and grace to them. For me personally, I can tell you, I thank God That God doesn't expect us to get our stuff together. He doesn't expect us to get it all figured out and worked out before he extends grace to us. But but he looked at me, Dan, and saw me in all my sin, all my shame, and still extends his love and his grace. And he does that for every one of us in this room. Romans 5 says it this way. It says, you see, at just the right time, when you were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will one die for a righteous man, though a good man, for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus doesn't wait for a person to get his life in line and get turned around and and get in the right political party and start acting the right way and dressing the right way before he extends his grace to them. If we're following him in this, then we need to be the type of people who love people exactly where they are. Say, so, okay, well, yeah, you're talking about Jesus. I mean, this is the Son of God. It's got to be easy for him. You know, what, what about us? What about me? On a daily basis, what does that look like for me? Very simply, this is what it looks like for you and I. It means accepting people without accepting sin. Accepting people without accepting sin. Guys, I can tell you, as Christians, we get this wrong so often. Because we think, since I don't accept the sin, I shouldn't accept the person. Or if I, if I should love them, I should accept them and love them and, and just deal with their actions like, like it's no big deal. We'll just let it go. And see, Jesus modeled the, this perfect balance between accepting a person and loving them without accepting the sinful behavior that destroys and hurts and and kills us and destroys our relationships. One of the great stories we read about uh, when Jesus modeled this for us was John chapter 8, verse 1. And he was speaking to the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd and teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. He stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again. And said to the woman, where are your accusers? 
Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Now go and sin no more. Truth is, according to the law of Moses, Jesus had every right to stone this woman. She was caught in the act. She was guilty of the crime. And they had the right to stone her. In fact, after Jesus even said, those of you without sin can cast the first stone, every person that was standing there knew that they were to blame as well, that they had sin. They had shame in their own life. But Jesus didn't. So Jesus stood there as the only one who could condemn her. And he offered her, I don't condemn you either. I think for many of us in this room, it's a very familiar story. And I think a lot of us, we remember this story. We remember the fact that it ends with Jesus saying, I don't condemn you either. But the truth is, that's not how the story ends. The story ends with this very clear statement. He says, I do not condemn you either. Now go and sin no more. So why did Jesus decide not to condemn her? Number one, he decided not to condemn her so he could extend grace and love and mercy and forgiveness to her. But, but number two, the reason he forgave her was so that she could then have the power in a relationship with Jesus to go and stop sinning. He loved her enough to say, listen, the sin that you're committing is destroying you. Sin kills you, it hurts you, it hurts your relationships. All it will do is take away from you. It might seem like fun for a period of time, but it takes away from you. So he's saying, I'm forgiving you. Now, now the next step that you need to hear from me is stop sinning. Don't do this anymore. Don't hurt yourself anymore. If you've ever loved someone who's gone through struggles, you understand what this is like. When, when maybe you've had someone who's dealing with addiction or something, you say, listen, I love you and I accept you, but this drug is killing you. It's taking away from you. Meth, it's harming you. you it, we've got to find a way to get you help because I love you, but I can't accept this sin in your lifestyle. It's the way it is with every type of sin in this room. Every type of sin that we deal with out in the city, out in the community, you see, our, our country right now, our society likes to have little pet sins and say, well, this is acceptable, this one's not acceptable, but this one is acceptable. And, and Jesus is saying, no, you got to understand, it's all not acceptable, it all will hurt you, it all will destroy your life. And the world's rebuttal to that is going, no, no, you just don't understand, this is the way I was born. This is the way that my passions are, this is the way that, that I've been made. And, and God says, no, understand Every human being was born into a sin nature. Every human being has sins and temptations and desires, and following those temptations and desires will destroy you. And it looks different for different people in this room. Might be some of us in here that you, you have the temptation to lie, you have the temptation to steal. You have the temptation towards lust or towards homosexuality or towards adultery whatever the temptation is, it's gonna look different from one person to another. And God says, it's that sin nature that's gonna destroy you, that's gonna kill you, that's gonna ultimately separate you from God. So he's saying, I forgive you. I don't condemn you either, but stop it. You gotta stop sinning. This is what it looks like when Jesus says, okay, I extend grace and mercy and love to you, but I, I'm not gonna accept that sinful lifestyle. Why is it? He's not just out there pointing the finger going, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. He's going, I love you so much that i got to tell you, it's killing you. So stop it. Well, how do you do that? 
There's a parenting tip that I, I was taught years ago when my girls were younger, and I've shared it several different times, but this parenting tip, it relates right into our interaction with the world that we live in today when it comes to this topic of sin. See, when my girls were younger, I, I remember when there was an older man who was watching me, he was much older and wiser, and he, he pulled me aside and he gave me a tip, and he said, you're frustrating yourself, you gotta stop telling your kids what they can't do and start telling them what they can Stop telling your kids what they can't do and start telling them who they are. Because what would happen is we would go to like Target or something or Walmart and we're walking through the store and I would just be stressed out because I'm telling them, don't touch that. Don't, put that back down before you break it. Get back in the cart. Hold on to the cart. Don't, stop touching that. Don't pull your, your sister's hair. Stop getting in a fight. Stop screaming. People are looking at us right now. And I would be so stressed out. And finally... I thought, I'm going to try it the way this old guy told me. So instead of telling them what they can't do, I'm going to tell them what they can. And I remember the day I pulled my son, you can do everything today that you see daddy do. So when we go in the store, I'm not going to tell you what not to do. Just do everything I do. You're allowed, if I touch something, you're allowed to touch it. If I run down an aisle and dance, you can do that too, you know. Whatever you see daddy do, you're allowed to do that. And, and that day, I tell you, it blew my mind. Because I'm going through the store, and my girls are watching me going, well, now I know what I can do. And, and, and Dad just touched that so I can touch it. And Dad put his hands in his pocket, so I'm going to put my hands in my pocket. And, and the whole communication and our relationship changed drastically. Here's how it relates to us interacting with those in the workplace, those in our neighborhood, those we do business with is instead of being the type of people in a culture where we do see so much wrong, we do see so much sin, we do see so much immorality, instead of going, you can't do this, and you can't do that, and you shouldn't do this, how do you love a person and not accept the sin? You've got to tell them who they are. You've got to tell them, you know, Jesus loves you so much that he offered a way that's better than what you're reaching for. He, he loves you so much that he gave you, uh, he gave you a dream that you're not even willing to confess he gave you hopes that you're not even willing to say because you've got all this self-doubt and these concerns. And he wants so much for you that he offers you a better way. And that's the second thing that we see Jesus modeled is Jesus modeled loving people for who they could be. He, he modeled loving people for who they could be. In Acts chapter 9, we see that there was a murderer by the name of Saul. And, and Saul hated Christians he spent his life looking to persecute Christians. He thought that Christianity was a cult, so he would go from city to city and they would find Christians and bring them out and stone them. He, he was a murderer and he would bring people along with him to join into the fun of killing Christians. And it was on a road to Damascus we see in Acts chapter 9 that Jesus revealed himself to Saul. And, and, and in this conversation that we had with him, when he said, you got to stop fighting against me. I am the son of God. I'm the way. As, as he had this conversation with him, he changed his name. And when he changed his name, he changed his name to Paul. And what we see here is instead of Jesus focusing on Saul's past, he now focused on Paul's future. So instead of dealing with Saul as far as who he used to be, he was dealing with him on who he's going to become. And he began speaking into, to Paul, I want you to now go do this and go do that. And we see that later in life, it was actually Paul who wrote the letters that make up two-thirds of what you and I know as the New Testament. And it was Paul's own words in, in uh, Corinthians 
1 Corinthians 15, 10, that says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. You see, you see, the testimony of my life is not that I just got everything worked out and figured out together, but it was God's grace to see me right where I was in the middle of my sin, see me right where I was messed up, and he loved me and talked to me about who I could become. He extended mercy to me, and he looked past the Saul, and he saw the Paul. And that's what it looks like for you and I to, to love people for who they could be, is to stop looking at the mess that a lot of our friends and family are in and start looking at the potential that God gave them. Start looking at who he created them to be. You know, many of you know that in my story, I got into a lot of trouble as a teenager. I, I, I was real rebellious for a period of time. I got involved in, in partying and drugs and, and there was a lot of people who pulled away from me in this time. But there was a, a select group of people who came around me and got real close, and, and they didn't look at the mess I was in, but they started talking to me about who I could be and what Jesus wanted for my life. And one of the men, and there were several, but one of the men in particular was a man by the name of Wayne Hansen. And you remember him because he was a youth pastor here years back, and, and he was my youth pastor. And I remember when I was getting into all this trouble and there were people that were, that were, were condemning me and they were upset with me and all that, Wayne would pull me aside and he'd say, Dan, you got to stop all this because, uh, and he started telling me about who I could be. He started saying things like, you know, God has put too many good gifts in you and too much good stuff in you for you to squander it on this junk. So really, you should start using your gifts and your abilities to start seeking out what God has for you because God wants to do good things in your life. And he looked past the Saul in my life and started talking to me about the Paul. Fast forward several years, we, we find ourselves Wednesday night, 2003. I had the opportunity to teach an adult service for the very first time at this church. And I stood on the stage and, and taught my message. And when I came off, I talked to several people. But one of the people that grabbed me after the service was over was Wayne Hansen. And he grabbed me there and he said, Dan, I always saw it was in you. I always knew it was in you, and I saw when everyone else, they're looking at the junk, you got in trouble and stuff like that, and you got the past and all that. He goes, I saw that God had such a huge plan for your life, and, and he spoke into me based on who I could be. That's what Jesus does. And here's the difficulty is when you leave here today, this is an easy, easy message to sit through. Simple truths. We're supposed to love God and love people, but when you go to work tomorrow, when you go to the job site, you're going to deal with some difficult people. <laughs> you, you, already, you already know who it is. <laughs> and I wonder, can you make room in your life to love them right where they are? Not based on where they are, but for who they could be. Would you bow with me? I know without a doubt, I'm far from having this one mastered. I'm far from having this one figured out, but... I believe as you and I, as we lean into God and we experience his love on a daily basis and we start to recognize all the grace he extends to us daily, that over time we're going to be more and more and more like Jesus. Where what spills out of us, if we make room for it, is his love and his mercy and his grace. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person in this room, and I think the truth is, if we just get honest with you right now, God, there's a lot of us, we know some people we don't want to love. We know some people that are hard to love. 
But God, I pray right now that you would begin to just pour into us and impart to us a love for our neighbors, a love for that family member who's done us wrong, a love for, for our coworkers, God, love for people who they don't vote like us, they don't look like us, they don't act like us. Help us, God, to go get right in the middle of it and to extend mercy and grace and love because you love them. So God, I pray that as you speak to each of us right now, as some of the people we need to start being more graceful with and merciful with, that you would not just give us their names, but God, give us opportunities to show them love and help us, strengthen us, encourage us, God, in doing it so that ultimately you could be glorified. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can do that right now. I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner, and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord, and that you died on the cross for my sins, and that you rose again. God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my savior, to guide my life, and to give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this, in your precious son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you just prayed this prayer for the first time, or if you need prayer at all, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY or by email at prayer at fellowshipgj.com. Thanks again, and we hope to see you next week.